Hey, what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast presented by Ticketmaster. Let's get personal. That's what I uh, put out there on X and asked you to send me questions uh, that you want to know personally from me. Things about my career, my life. You know, these are the dog days of winter. Definitely the dog days of the NBA season. As we get into late January and early February, uh, well past the the halfway point of the season and yet not at the All-Star break. And the weather's cold all around the country. Uh, seasonal depression kicks in for everybody. Uh, and you really have to spur yourself to get up and get going. So we figured, what a great time to do a mailbag episode. In fact, we're going to do this in two parts. And I will answer questions that we received on X and on our Instagram broadcast channel, at Voice of the Nets on X and uh, our, our Voice of the Nets podcast, IG broadcast channel. And I'm going to ask answer things like, what inspired you to choose your career path? What is my preparation process like? What gives me an edge in that, in that way? What are the accessibility in sports and spaces that are aspects you wish more people knew about? The difference between doing radio and TV. Favorite people to interview over the years. Were there moments of uncertainty in my career? How did I overcome those? Things like, what's your favorite Nets uniform? What got you into basketball in the first place? Who are the most important people in your life? And shout out to at Chasing Mustafa, letting me know that you listen to this podcast on a regular basis. What are the three things that make you laugh, cry, and think? We will get into all of that. Over two parts, and maybe I'll maybe I'll do a, a what uh, I'll save the laugh, cry, think for the end, like I do with my interview subjects, and uh, and maybe I'll do a different one for each of these of these parts of the uh, of the mailbag. So let's get us started. First of all, uh, IG broadcast channel Zipula wanted to know what inspired you to choose your career path. I don't know if I chose it or it chose me. But I'm going to go way back. Uh, I'm going to go back to when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. And my dad gave me a tape recorder and some blank cassettes. He had, he had worked part-time as a recording engineer. And he, had, he just brought home this tape recorder one day and he gave it to me. And I said, well, you know, what do I do with it? And he said, well, just, you know, record your voice. Have fun. And now I was always a huge sports kid. I mean, that age, probably, you know, 8 to 14, like sports are the most important thing in my world. It, it's, it's, a, it's close to being the most important thing in my world now, too. But back then, that was it. And what I decided to do with the tape recorder was I would go into my parents' bedroom. They had a TV. And, uh, and it would be quiet. I'd shut the door. And I would put a game on. I remember specifically being uh, baseball and then sometimes football. And I would, I would turn the sound down on the TV and I would do the play-by-play of the game into the tape recorder. Now, I'm in my 50s now and I, I've made a career in sports broadcasting. To me, the key to life is if you could do something when you're 10 or 11 years old for fun and then make a career at it, where you're still getting paid to do it when you're in your 50s. 
That's the key to life. So when I say that, either I chose it or it chose me, I think when it's in you so at such a young age that that's something you want to do and you're able to find that career path, it chose me as much as I chose it. And now my, my focus on it would, would vary, but um, I, I think what always remained was my passion for sports and my love for public speaking and communicating. So when I got to high school, I started uh, in, in speech and debate. I had a, a new teacher that showed up. I went to Iona Prep in Nourishell, and I had a, a new teacher when I was a sophomore. And I had him for two classes. His name was John Murphy, and he wasn't much older than I was. But he was restarting a, a forensics program at Iona Prep, which is public speaking and debate, performance, that kind of thing. And you would compete against other high schools. And he would give a pitch for people to join the teams. And he was always trying to get me to come out and debate. You know, he, he would hear me. I had a locker right outside his classroom. And he would hear me talking sports and debating sports with my friends. And he said to me, you've got to be on the debate team. So I gave it a shot. I, I did some debate. I did some uh, thing called extemporaneous speech and some other stuff, and I got pretty good at it. And I, you know, I went to nationals a few times in, uh, in high school. And recently, I, as an aside, I got inducted into my high school Hall of Fame last summer, and I, uh, and I asked my old teacher, John Murphy, to come and, and induct me into the Hall of Fame because I, I felt like that's really where my career got started. That's where I first started to get up in a room in front of people and speak and learn how to do it effectively. And then when I got to college, I worked at the radio station at Fordham University. And that's where I, I learned from a legendary broadcaster. His name was Marty Glickman. He invented basketball on the radio. And at the time, uh, when you know, he's the longtime radio voice of the Knicks, uh, college basketball, legendary figure, longtime voice of the New York Giants. Uh, when, when we met him, when I met him at Fordham, he was toward the end of his career, and he was doing radio for the Jets. So Marty was there to, broad, to coach the broadcasters. We would, he would listen to our tapes, and he would help us get better. And the first time I sat in the back of a room with Marty Glickman, I, I, I was a freshman. It was the first week I was on campus. I went directly to the radio station and signed up for a workshop and saw that I could sign up for sports, so I did that. And I sat in the back of the room, and I knew two things. I knew that, number one, this is what I want to do. I started thinking about me as a 10 or 11-year-old turning the sound down on the TV and broadcasting games into a tape recorder. And now me sitting in this classroom with Marty Glickman and hearing him talk about play-by-play and the art form that it is. It was a perspective that I never thought about. Consider the listener. Paint the picture in people's mind. It all intrigued me a great deal. So everything builds on everything. And this is probably the moment where I said, all right, this is what I want to try and aspire to as a career. And the second thing I took away is I don't really know the first thing about it. I've got to come here every week and I've got to listen to Marty Glickman. And that's what I did for four years. I would get a chance to call games. I would put it on a tape. Marty would listen to the tape. You went as you went there hoping you can go as long. Marty would, would listen. You'd hope he, you can get through a whole two minutes without him stopping the tape and correcting you on something. 
And sometimes he would be correcting you every 15 seconds. And it helped you get better. And then, uh, you know, that's, I guess, a long answer to your question about what inspired you to choose your career path. It's just always what I wanted to do. And, you know, it's great when you know you want something, you're passionate about something, but then you also have to discover if you have a talent for it. And, and all that training, all that inspiration I got in terms of public speaking, combine that with my passion for sports, that's where you have the, the connection. That's where you build a career as a professional. All right, thank you, Zipola, on uh, Instagram for that question. Now let's, let's jump over to X uh, and go to at Talkin Nets, who asked the question, you're always prepared, you know, so much. Can you share with us the process for getting ready to call games? Uh, tips, what gives you an edge? Uh, thanks, Talkin Nets. Um, I'm gonna, here's a little anecdote. I, I, I recently, I read in this, uh, I, I was listening to this podcast recently, and they said that there are, over a thousand biographies on Winston Churchill. Just one guy. There are over a thousand biographies written on him. What differentiates these 1,000 plus books written about Winston Churchill? Some of them may have different information. Maybe some of them focus on different aspects of his life. But for the most part, all the main stuff is going to be, hopefully, you would think, in all thousand plus books about Winston Churchill. But there's probably, you know, 50 that stand out and one that's the best. And what makes it the best? What gets you in the top 10 of over a thousand plus biographies on Winston Churchill? It's the storytelling. How do you present the information in a certain way that's entertaining to the reader? There is so much information out there about these games that I get to call, whether they be NBA games or NFL games. My job is to funnel that information and present it to you, the listener, and tell the story of the game, the the three-dimensional story of the game. Let you be able to see it, feel it, and give you information. That's my job. And over the years, I've tried to just craft that storytelling. And a big part of that is preparation, obviously. But So many people have access to the same information. Some people have access to more information. But the biggest thing about preparation is trying to be the gatekeeper for that information and present it in a way that tells the story of the game. And there's a great quote by Vin Scully one time. My my Fordham brethren, legendary longtime Dodgers announcer going all the way back to Brooklyn and, of course, a product of WFUV Radio at Fordham University, which I'm sure will come up again. It's already come up twice already, and we've been doing this for about 10 minutes. But Vince Gully asked him, why do you prepare so much for a game? And he said, fear. Fear of sounding like an idiot. I know that my audience knows the game. If they're tuning in to me do a net game, They know a lot about the Nets, or at least there are a lot of people listening who know a lot about the team. If I'm doing an NFL game, there's people that know the NFL inside and out, and they're listening. I got to make sure that I don't sound like an idiot. So it's important to prepare. And every game to me is like a test. It's like you're in college and you've got an exam coming up. You've got to try to know everything about the topic. The topic in this case being these two teams that are playing. 
and you don't know what questions are going to be on the test. You may only use 20% of what you've prepared for on the test. And that's the same with a game. I may use 20% of what I've prepared for that game during the game. But you don't know which 20% is going to come up. So, you know, you have to really throw yourself in. You can't cram for it. You have to throw yourself into it during the course of a whole season. You know, sometimes you get a little tunnel vision with your team, but you do get to see other teams at different times. You know, I'll try and watch as many games as I can. Try and stay up to date every night on what's going on with the different teams around the league. Uh, and then, you know, as far as the actual process for me, I have a database called Broadcaster's Edge that I subscribe to. Uh, and basically it updates the stats for every player every day. And it's a database, so I make my own notes in the database. And then I'm able to generate a chart that I'll have in front of me during the game. I print it out and I have it in front of me during the game. You may see me at a game. I actually uh, print it out on a, on a legal-sized piece of paper and I have a little clip that goes to the side of my computer so it, don't, so it stands up in front of me so I can quickly look at this information that I've prepared and still be able to see the game, not have to look down too long where I might miss something. And I will go through and I'll spend a couple of hours on a game day making sure I've got that chart up to speed. And I'll make some notes on a separate uh, application that I use called Evernote. Uh, Evernote is, is a, uh, an app that I have, and it's on my phone, it's on my iPad, it's on my desktop, it's on my laptop. And whichever device I'm using, I could make notes to Evernote. So I have one note for each game. And I have a little template. I have some things that I know I have to read uh, during the course of the game. So I put those on there, and then I put any other information that doesn't go on my chart, team information. The chart has mostly player information, but team information, what they've been doing uh, maybe the last few games, that goes in my notes on Evernote. And whenever I'm reading something, I could be in my living room scrolling through X, and I read an article about something, and something jumps out about a team or a player. I will then go make a note in Evernote. I may have some games coming up already I have a note going for that game and I will add it to that note and what's great about Evernote is I can do it on my phone and then it'll pop up on my computer and when I have the computer open in front of me during the game I can go to my Evernote and I have the game information there so uh, these are just some of the tools and the processes that I use to get better and just like when you're on a test even if you have an open book test you don't have time to be looking for stuff. So you want to put things in, in a way that you'll be able to easily find it. And when you're trying to do this and you're going through the whole note-taking process and reading through your notes, you'll find that a lot of times you don't even have to refer to your notes. It's just there. It's important for me to organize that information, especially I just got through November and December where I'm doing NFL games and I'm doing NBA. And I've got to throw myself headlong into each of these sports. And it can get confusing. And you read a lot of stuff, and you want to be able to remember it, and you want to be able to use it. So um, something like Evernote and Broadcaster's Edge really helps me do that. But I think bringing it back to the, the point I made when I first started to answer your question at Talking Nets is a lot of people have access to the information that I have. Yes, I may have some places to go that, that – the average person wouldn't know about or have access to. And, 
and maybe I can speak to people and coaches and get some off-the-record information um, that helps me prepare. But it's about how do I process this information and tell you the story of the game. All these things are great. Every announcer prepares in a different way. My preparation still evolves, even doing it as long as I've been doing it, you know, almost 30 years in the business. It still always is evolving, especially with technology. You know, the ability to stream games if I want to go back and, and watch a, an opponent that's coming up. Or like I said, something like Evernote, where I have the ability to, to, to make changes wherever I am. And then whatever I device I use, sometimes during a game, I will have my, my, my laptop open with uh, the, the, the NBA stats on them. I will have the, my charts clipped to the side of my laptop. And then I will have an iPad open where I will open up the Evernote page that I have for that game that I'm working. If I have the space, you know, where I do the, the games on radio at Barclays Center, I have a lot of space. When I'm working down on TV, I don't have as much space. I can't have all that out displayed like it is. So if I have the space, I like to have all that thing going on so that I can easily reference and look and have multiple screens going on. So, uh, yeah, it can be, it can sound a little daunting, but at the same time, when you're doing it a long time, it, it, it all makes sense to you. So uh, thanks for that question at Talking Nets. And, and that leads me, you know, I mentioned having the space uh, to, to do to have a lot of information out at my fingertips. Um, I saw this one question about the difference between TV and radio. And this comes from OnX um, at Nicole uh, one Emmeline. I, I, I never know if I'm saying these tags correctly, um, but at Nicole one Emmeline is how I'm, how I'm seeing it. But he wants to, he or she wants to know, are there things you enjoy more about radio or TV broadcasting? Do you have to change things when doing either? Uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between radio and TV and the play-by-play announcer's role in each. Uh, as far as what I enjoy more about radio or TV broadcasting, I, I really do enjoy radio broadcasting more. And I'll tell you why. It's, it, to me, it's the pure art form of I am painting a picture in your mind of something you cannot see. Everything that you know about the game is funneled through me. And I could, I could give you my take on it. I can, I can let you see it in a way that to me is like, it's like painting or it's like writing. It's much more intimate with your audience. And on radio, I am the director, I am the cameraman, I am the writer. Everything goes through the prism of my brain out to you. And there's something really much more demanding, but much more artistic about it and intimate as far as me and the listener. TV is a much more collaborative effort. You are there to add captions to the pictures. Some describe it as being like like a traffic cop. You've got cars darting all over the place, and you've got to tell some people to stop, some people to go, and keep the traffic moving. You're, you're working with a producer who is very much involved in, in what you're going to do next, what you're going to say. Uh, you've got a director who's listening to you, and you've got to be able to have something to show while you say something. You've got to have cameramen 
who are going to show you things that then you will react to or let them know ahead of time you're going to speak about something that, so that they can find a shot to show while you talk about those things. You've got graphics people. You've got people with replays. Replay is a huge thing to adjust to. You know, as far as the biggest difference and things you have to change in your style, when I'm calling a game on radio, I call the play. I may recap it. I'll, I'll leave space for my partner to come in. I may take him in a different direction. We may be able to talk about what just happened, maybe move on to the next thing. On TV, when you call a play, oftentimes you have to wait for a replay or there's a a, a break in the action. There's a dead ball. There's a free throw. The producer wants you to get a replay in, and now you have to leave the space for the replay. And then the analyst is reacting to the replay and maybe – telling the story of the game by, by talking about the replay. That is an aspect of radio that doesn't exist. You have to find ways to, to do all those things without being able to show a replay. So radio is just a nice conversation between the audience and my partner, Tim Capstraw, my partner of uh, 22 years. TV is a dance with cameramen, directors, producers, your partner, graphics, tape ADs, a whole truck full of people, audio people. So that's the difference. And as far, you know, and, and, and the actual difference of doing the job changes, like I said, especially with replays. Um, and also you can see it. You know, I, it, it may be annoying to you as a viewer if I'm describing every single pass. You can see a guy dribbling out of the left wing with a bounce pass into the left block. And a ball fake, turnaround, fadeaway that goes in and out. Like, that would be a radio call. That lets you see it. On TV, you can see that already. So I want to just accentuate things and give you information, give you stats. But it's, it's much more you're a part of a band. And on radio as a play-by-play guy, you're the, you're the lead singer. And, and, and like I said, the, the, the space that I have, like, just practically, you know, sometimes you... You don't want to have so much stuff because it is collaborative. You want to let everyone else's ideas and, and information flow. I almost find like on TV, you know, you, you want to be extremely prepared in both. Uh, sometimes you can get more information in on TV because you don't have to do the actual play-by-play. You're just you're calling the games. You're using information to, to provide captions for what you're seeing. You may have a little less space. So you have to have to you know, be very practical about the way I have my information laid out in front of me. And ironically, though, you have more time to get information in. So that's the big difference between TV and radio. Um, let me get to, to one other, and then, we'll, uh, and then we'll get to our what makes you laugh, cry, think, and we'll wrap up uh, the first half of this mailbag, and then we'll give you a part two uh, next week. At Otto Clem. On X, giving your and Tim Capstraw's comedic and improv skills, have you considered acting, writing, or any other creative arts beyond sports? Any aspirations in that realm? Well, you know, Capra and I did a movie. Not sure if people saw it, but we did a movie. We, we weren't on camera, and we weren't doing something that was too out of the box. We were sportscasters. Uh, we were called in to do voiceover for a film called Lay the Favorite, which is actually directed by an Academy 
Award-nominated director in Stephen Frears, nominated for a movie called The Queen, uh, also directed a movie that I really liked, even though I enjoyed the book better, but it was called High Fidelity with John Cusack, if anybody saw that. So I'm a big movie guy, and getting to work with Stephen Frears on a Stephen Frears movie was amazing to me. And, 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 and when I showed up to do the voiceover with Cappers, he was there. Like, he was actually there directing us. I, I, I thought we were just going into a room with a script and reading, and that's it. But here was the thing. I had Stephen Frears actually there. I'm sitting there getting direction from him. I'm like, this guy is nominated for an Academy Award as a director. And there was no script. The movie was already shot, and they wanted us to watch these segments of the movie and do the play-by-play that was going on. It was about sports gamblers. It was a comedy. And uh, there were a couple of different instances where they're watching games in a sports book or on a TV or in a bar, and they needed us to do the play-by-play. And the whole end of the movie takes place in a bar, and they're watching a basketball championship game, and we have to do the play-by-play. So the end of the movie is our voices are prominently featured. And we were also very excited about this because the other stars in the movie, well, I, I, that came out wrong. I'm not calling myself a star of the movie. But <laughs> the other people in the movie, this is not some indie film. Bruce Willis is in this movie. Catherine Zeta-Jones is in this movie. Vince Vaughn is in this movie. And we thought, man, this is going to be a big deal. We're going to be getting, you know, a little residual check for years and years and years. And, and yes, we do for like eight cents. You know, if there was a lot of streams that month out in, uh, you know, in Switzerland, one day we get like $8. But it's pretty cool. It was really cool to go through that process. And, and as far as our uh, comedic and improv skills, I, I appreciate you listening and, and you like our, our comedic and improv skills. And uh, we, we just like to have fun. You know, we like to have fun. I, I think if you try to be comedians, we're not, we're not comedians. Um, can we be funny at times if, if, the, if the situation arises? Yeah, I hope so. I hope people find it funny and entertaining. That's, we're trying to entertain the listener. That's all we're trying to do. And I'm not considering a, an acting career. If something came along, yeah, I'd love that, you know. But, uh, but anything beyond sports, uh, I, I have great interest beyond sports, um, but, but certainly not something I'm going to give up my career for. But uh, if anything came up, I would, I would absolutely be open to it. Hopefully you, uh, Otto Clem, maybe you're a casting director or have something to do uh, with the entertainment industry. Yeah, would love to, would love to do something like that. Uh, so before we get done here with part one, let's go to Chasing Mustafa with his three things that make you laugh, cry, and think, and I'll do this at the end of each of these uh, these part these two part mailbag podcast episodes. As you as you may know, and Mustafa knows, or chasing Mustafa knows. I don't want to. Not sure which is the key part of that of that tag on on X or Twitter. But at the end of of the podcast episodes, when I have someone on, where we're going into their background and telling their their personal journey and their story, uh, I hearken back to the Jim Valvano speech at the ESPYs, the never give up speech, which has always meant so much to me. And he'll ask, he said, to have a full life every day, you should do three things. You should laugh, cry, and think. You know, laugh is 
self-explanatory cry is not necessarily something, you know, when something sad happens, you cry, but your, your emotions are moved. And, and the think part for me, I've, I've morphed it into what is something you would put on the Oculus at Barclays Center that you'd want people to think about maybe something that's important in your life. So as far as the, the laugh thing, the first thing that comes to mind for me, and I love to laugh and I love watching stand-up comedy. I, I watch a lot of that. Um, I think stand-up comedians are some of the great thinkers, almost like modern-day philosophers. Uh, they give you a lot to laugh, cry, and think about, I think. So I love doing that. But the thing that always, the person who always makes me laugh is Will Ferrell. You could ask anybody in my life, what's, what's going to make Chris laugh? It's Will Ferrell. Even if I'm, he's just coming on the screen and I see him and I just anticipate something funny is coming out and I will just laugh. It's like my father one time told me he got in an elevator with Alan Arkin and he just started giggling. My father did. And Alan, Alan Arkin looked at him and he said, are you okay? And he's like, he goes, I'm sorry, but just, just seeing you makes me laugh. That could come out the wrong way to people. If somebody told me that, it, it might be an insult. But when someone is a comedian or a you know, movie maker, things like that, like I could just look at Will Ferrell and make me laugh. I still think that Elf doesn't get enough credit. His performance in Elf is one of the great comedic performances of all time. But it's a Christmas movie, so it doesn't always get thought of like one of the great movies but it is one of the great comedies, and that is one of the great comedic performances of all time. One of my favorite comedies of all time uh, is Wedding Crashers. And I spent, you know, three quarters of the movie laughing hysterically at this movie. I can still laugh at it, watching it today, like I've never seen it, even though I've seen it a million times. And I had no idea that Will Ferrell was in the movie the first time I saw it. And that first time he comes walking down the stairs, it's not a spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Wedding Crashers right now, you you probably aren't ever going to see it. But when he walks down the stairs for the first time, and I realized, and I said, how could this movie get any better? But Will Farrell is now in it. So that's what makes me laugh. The cry part, I, I will cry at a lot of things. Not like sobbing uncontrollably with tears coming down my face and gasping for air. But there are definitely things in my life, especially as I get older, that um, it can be a song, it can be a movie, it could be a TV commercial, and it will, it will get in me, and I will find my emotions moved to where I am starting to tear up. It happens a lot when it comes to my family, especially having a, having a child. I have a son. Um, and there's this commercial that I saw, a Toyota commercial, where uh, it's, it's a father, and, and he's leaving a voicemail. And you see his daughter out and about, and it's about her being out on her own and, um, and what she might be going through. And hopefully she's inspired and she's having a great time and she's, and she's, and she's doing everything in the world that she wants. And it, it, sometimes it's the timing of these things. Now, this is right around the time where my son went off to college for the first time, my only child. Laura and I have one child, Christopher, and he's, he's off at Fordham University. He went there for the first time. And I saw this commercial, and man, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because all I could think about was sending your child out on their own for the first time. 
and how exciting and terrifying that is. And you don't have control over it. You always want to be there for every moment for your child to guide them through life. But at some point, you have to let them go. And sometimes you may think everything's great, and it might not be. And maybe they'll tell you about it, maybe they won't. And you're left to just hope that it works out. There was a great line one time in um, uh, the, the Steve Martin remake of uh, Father of the Bride, and he's talking to his future in-laws, and they say to him, sometimes you just have to let them go and hope you brought them up right. And uh, all that stuff swirled around when I saw that commercial, and that commercial makes me cry every time I see it. I, get, I, I well up every time I see it. Car commercial. Um, the think part. There's a few things. You know, I have a banner on my phone that when I look at my phone every day, it, it, it reminds me, and it's a little banner, and it says, be relentless. And I've talked about that in the past here on the podcast and what that means. Um, so that's kind of a personal slogan for me. It means something to me. But as far as what I would want to say to the world, um, based on my experience, there's a, there's a stoic philosophy, and it's the title of a book by Ryan Holiday. And I've referred to this many times as well in the podcast, is the obstacle is the way. The obstacle is the way. You're going to face obstacles in your life, challenges in your life. Don't shy away from them. Because oftentimes, the process of, of getting over those obstacles or managing them or dealing with them is going to show you the path you need to go. It's going to teach you something about your life, about life, about the world that you would not have known otherwise unless you attempted to go through that obstacle. You know, I have FSHD muscular dystrophy. There are so many things that I wish I could have learned in a book, but I never would have. I had to go through it. There's so many things that make my life richer because I've gone through what I've gone through. Not that I would want to go through it again in another life or I would wish anyone had to go through what I've gone through. But everyone has something. Everyone has some kind of obstacle that they want to go through or that they have to get through to lead a fulfilling life. And it's not always a dead end. It's not always a blockage that you can't remove. The obstacle is the way. Sometimes just dealing with it is going to lead you on a path where you need to go and teach you things that you never thought you were capable of. So that would be my thing to leave you with. That will end our first part of the mailbag. I thank you so much for tuning in, subscribing, following us on Instagram, on X. I'm Chris Carino. We'll do our second half of the mailbag next time here on The Voice of the Nets.